This is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Welcome to Spark My Muse, everybody. Today I have a returning guest, Christy Lauren Adams. She was on before speaking about her book on singleness. And if you don't know Christy already, she is a speaker, author, and an advocate. She's an ordained minister with the American Baptist Churches USA, and she is the Firestone Endowment Chaplain and an instructor of religious studies and philosophy at the Hill School in Pottstown, PA. She's also the founder and director of the Becoming Conference. And we will be conversing about her book with Fortress Press it's coming out in February 2020, Parable of the Brown Girl, Sacred, The Sacred Lives of Girls of Color. Thank you for returning as a guest, Christy. I appreciate of it. Of course. Thank you for having me. I've been um, reading this book and soaking it up, and it's very eye-opening. And I wanted to cover this kind of right off the bat, because as I was just talking to you about it on back and forth on Twitter, uh, a, a troll woman came busting in on our, on our conversation. Wait, wait, wait. I do, forgot. What did she say? And she said, <laughs> well, she said, do white people have to read this book? Oh, I read Do you remember? Lot, I don't remember. You um, responded. Yeah. So she, yeah. What's, what was funny is that she, to know that she blocked me so that I would know, she friended me and then she blocked uh, me. So she would know. <laughs> so I would know. That uh, that it happened, <laughs> but wow. anyway, what's interesting is because our society is so centered on whiteness, everybody reads things for, about white people, about the dominant culture, and mm-hmm. this is just like, of course, yeah. And then all of a sudden, uh, there's either pushback or like, why would I have to read that? Or does that that does that apply to me? Or that's not my experience. And this woman, I really think she was like, well. I th- I think she was maybe being nasty, but she was serious of like why why would r- white people have to read? I responded maybe a little hastily. I think mm-hmm. it should be required reading, yeah. <laughs> which she oh, didn't like. But I, but um, what's interesting about I think it's good to talk about this right off the bat because um, our dominant culture in the in at least in the United States um, further m- marginalizes marginalized voices and undervalues the voices of um, female voices, but people of color, the poor, the powerless. And I think it should be required reading to read outside the dominant group. But as you're writing, this is the this is the maybe even the unconscious pushback you'll get writing with a title that is um, Parable of the Brown Girl. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what are some of your what's your take on that? I mean, I think I take that in stride. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, I want to say it's expected. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. expect it from like the masses. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm being too naive. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, I sort of sighed when I saw that, like, oh, okay, here we go. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. especially when you know it's really not that serious, you know, yeah, it's not just a sort of antagonistic read. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not written that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for that response, it's just like, it just, it, 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 it doesn't make any sense, but it, it's a typical response. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that surprised me 
um, which I'm happy about with some of the people that have read the book so far, mm-hmm. particularly the white people, the mm-hmm. response has been, you know, oh, I learned, I learned so much, you yeah, know, right. um, I, um, I didn't, I didn't expect to learn. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, sure. My, my thing with that is I'm, I'm happy because I'm like, you know, I did not want for this book to be a book, um, that, oh, well, we'll get this for, I get a lot of people saying, you know, I want to get this for my 11 year old. And I'm like, it's not a read Mm. necessarily for elementary school or middle school black Mm. girls, right? It's, it's about black girls. It's Mm. to educate all of us about black girls, but it's not another book for them as an audience. It's not enough Mm. for me to write and to write about them and try to center them and put Mm. their stories out and them just be the audience. That's Mm. not the point. They already know about their experiences. They've already lived them, right? Exactly. So it's funny because I get, I mean, of course, it's the title of the book. So people sort of naturally assume, okay, that's the audience of who it's for. But I'm like, no, we Mm. are all needing to educate ourselves on these girls and how to better relate Mm. to them uh, and to sort of understand um, try to at yeah. least. Yeah. And so I would say that is the case for, you know, all adults of all, you know, backgrounds and ethnicities, if they want to learn a little bit more. And so, um, I, but I've been pleasantly surprised and, and it's because I want for people to have that reaction. And then mm. also because I want, um, you know, I just really want us to be more open when we're reading. I think there's a sense of openness that some of them have had, because I'm not writing anything new under the sun uh, that hasn't been written by womanist scholars, <laughs> you know, people, people that, that are ahead of me, people that are still writing now. Um, but it just depends on if you're open to picking up the book, reading it, op- you know, opening it up and being open to learning. I think that's the difference. You know, if you go into it and you pick it up and you're just like, you know, oh, you know, like they're gonna, they're gonna be talking about how bad white people are. Like, no, it's not. It's no, it's about black girls. <laughs> yeah, I think it also is important to know uh, the experiences of people that aren't like you in a society that creates situations where they wind up at the bottom. Uh, uh-huh. Like, we should learn. We should learn. No matter who you are in the society, you know, if you're a powerful person, if you're, um, you know, you go unnoticed, you blend or whatever, that you that you know what's happening because of how your society is functioning, that there are people at the bottom you haven't heard from them. They're, they're out, their voices are out there. You're just not hearing them. Uh-huh. And, and uh, what what is their life like? What is their experience like? We should be interested to know because that's how we correct wrongs, you know, how, how we right wrongs. Right. Um, and, um, and if people are very uninterested, you know, it's because it doesn't, uh, affect them personally, probably, you know, it doesn't, it's exactly. like, what does this have to do with me? I'm not, right. I'm not that color. I don't have these problems. It's like, but it's everybody's problem. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. if, if right. people are treated, um, if people are treated unfairly, but if people are, um, it's essentially breaks down to what you look like is how mm-hmm. you're treated. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, and it, and then I had, been you know speaking about colorism online Uh, uh um, or just dialoguing a little bit about it i think maybe we can broaden the topic on colorism a little bit but Uh essentially what we're talking about and and just feel free to add whatever but um because i i'm coming from a little bit of having a a dark father and and Uh people reacting to his color um, Uh and just having noticed it from a very young age is that it, it matters what you look like and and people 
really notice and really treat you differently in particular mm-hmm. situations. Sometimes they favor you and sometimes and oftentimes the darker you are, the worse treatment you get. And, mm-hmm. and so this is literally there's, n- it's, there's nothing sophisticated about it. There's nothing nuanced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's nothing mm-hmm. intellectual. It is mm-hmm. literally based on how you physically look in the world. And right. that's that's racism. It's that stupid. It's that simplistic. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and colorism plays into the, the you know, the, the whole thing of racism as well. But um, and maybe you can speak on when you you write about this in the book, but you call your book Brown Girl, even though you refer to girls as black within the book. Uh-huh, and maybe uh-huh. you can, um, you know, flesh that out a little bit of what what some of that means. Yeah. It, it, you know what? Honestly, initially it was me just sitting and imagining what, um, you know, what it, the title of the section in the Gospels would be mm. if it were a parable, you know, so yeah. it really wasn't as like, yeah. ooh, it, you know, it was really more like, oh, OK, this is what it would probably be called if Jesus had met these girls, mm-hmm. you know, at that time. And what I would be reading, it would probably say parable, the brown girl. Mm-hmm. I think I I went that route because a lot of the description, um, you know, throughout the Gospels with his encounters with people are usually um, very metaphorical. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, not not necessarily as sort of literal. And I don't I don't think, you know, you, you, they would have looked at these girls and said black. You know, we've sort of we have come up with that term, but I, we're not black. And so I think I just sort of like was like, oh, OK, they would look at these girls and say, oh, she's a brown girl. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was really where that came from. But um but because in our day and age now, brown is, um, you know, sort of a multiplicity of sort of ethnicities, right? Um, whether it be Middle Eastern or, you know, Latinx or, you know, African, African-American, there's a, there's a sort of like a spectrum of brown, um, right. Indian, you know. Um, so I but but I was specifically writing about black girls, so I didn't want that sort of nuance to sort of get in the way for people to open the book and not know immediately that I was talking about black girls. So I did want to make sure that I like acknowledge the fact that brown could mean, you know, several things. Um, But I'm specifically talking about black girls. And I say black and I sort of go into um, a little bit later in the book, sort of a how black people have sort of evolved as far as our naming and identifying ourselves um, in America um, in this sort of diaspora, post-diaspora. Mm. Um, and so I go into, you know, where sort of African-American came from, where black came from and wind up sort of um, narrowing it down and saying, OK, now you you will hear a lot in contemporary society. You'll hear black culture, black people. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, it sort of encompasses all, whether that's first, whether that's African, you know, because not all people are African-American in culture. Um, mm. They might be Africans in America, but African-American meant something very different. Um, and, um, you know, obviously uh, colored and Negro and, you know, some of mm-hmm. those some of those identifying terms in the in the past um, and how we've evolved from that. So I did black girl specifically just to make sure that I was being um, sort of true to the, the the culture that we're in right now. Yeah. On page 14, it kind of gives a gist. Uh, it says, these girls have been left to navigate adolescence and fight against systematic equalities on their own. 
leaving their stories overlooked, ignored, and on the margins of public discourse. Yet this book centers their experiences so their circumstances can resonate with people no matter their ethnicity, race, faith, or background. Mm -hmm. Everyone will learn something from these girls' stories, questions, and conclusions. As Christy Mm -hmm. Kozad-Nugar says, parables are about people having their ordinary lives respected and valued as a way to experience God. I need to prioritize these girls and their experiences so everyone will begin to respect and value their existence mm. and to experience God in a richer, more beautiful way. Um, that That is a really great nugget summary of how when we know people that are different than us, when we understand their situation, we actually understand God better and, and how yeah. God is manifest in the Imago Dei, um, yeah. which you talk about in the book as well, the Imago Dei. Um, and and I think that that is, uh, when we're othering people, we're not really understanding this, this concept of Imago Dei, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can speak a little bit to um, parables. You're really kind of, um, you know, help me understand, you're kind of pulling things out. These are there are real girls and real stories in here, but the, uh-huh. you're also making things parabolic. So yeah. maybe you can um, unpack like some of the wording and choices for, for how you set that up. Okay, so we'll go there. And then there's something else you said that I want to talk about, too. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay, so the parables, you know, it's a story that illustrates some sort of spiritual lesson, Um you know, Jesus, Jesus obviously wrote the parables a lot differently than I did. Mine was just long, you know, Jesus always had like two, two sentences and then you got the lesson, you know? Um, but for me, it really was more like, it's about my, it's about my experiences with these girls and how every time I sat with them, I got, I I got closer to God. I got Mm. a spiritual lesson. So I'm just sort of like writing down what, I experienced and hoping others will experience it too. Um, And the fact that I said parables too, because parables are so closely tied to like, you know, more morality, but, but also spiritual spirituality. And I want to make sure that people can identify the girls and their, their uh, conclusions, not just, Mm. not just their experiences, but their words, the things, the the things that they glean from their own situation as as deeply spiritual, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, as things that that introduce us to God, that bring us closer to God, but also that help us with our own our own spiritual journeys, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that was really why I love the word parable, mm. um, and in reference to them because it's not just anecdotes or stories or even just lesson, you know. Um, I wanted to make sure that, you know, like I said, the same way that we read these stories when Jesus said, oh, there was a guy or there was a girl and a woman and I met her, blah, 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 you know, um, you know, we're reading them with that same type of openness, you know, when Jesus starts telling those stories, you're like, okay, what, what am I going to get from this? How is this parallel with my own life? Um, and you know, even though it might be a nine-year-old girl or a 17 year old girl, it can parallel with your own life, even if you're not a black woman, you know, Um, there are things in it that you're like, Oh, that is true. You know? Right. Exactly. I, yeah, that's, that's actually where, you know, this, the specific goes to the universal. And I was noticing that. So your chapters are um, parable of the weak Brown girl, the parable of the insecure Brown girl, parable of the Brown girl, finding her voice, parable of the fast Brown girl, parable of, 
the brown girl in search of an identity, the parable of the angry brown girl, the parable of the brown girl who acted white. And those are all have very specific um, instances in them. And and the girls are specifically talking in their own words and their own experiences. But I noticed a lot of them too, like I, the thing, which is great because then you can really have more serious empathy. Like I remember just sort of sitting with some of it and going, wow, that, that sucks. Like that sucks mm-hmm. that, that little black girls are not comforted as much when they're little girls, they're little, little girls, five years old. And a teacher won't comfort them as much because they're like, oh, they're strong. They're fine. Yeah. And, and um, that we all feel like we have to be strong, but we're also weak and we need mm. help. And, yeah. and just to think that some, some girls based on their looks are going to get left to the side because of these stereotypes or myths or misinformation that's incredibly unfair and it kind of connects I mean you can connect with it because you felt strong and weak (laughs) too Uh right uh uh Um, and so I think that even though these these stories these parables um, they are universal they are parabolic for us because in every one of the girls there's a bit you can find a bit of yourself it's not that it's not an alien (laughs) planet right 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 where it's like, and it's not for me. There's always, it doesn't have to be the whole thing, but there's like always a little something or something that they say that you're like, oh, that speaks to my life, you know? It, it is eye-opening too, because that isn't something that I I didn't look like a little black girl growing up. So I d- definitely didn't have some of those things. And then when you read what they're actually experiencing, it's, it is really, for anybody who has any kindness or compassion in their, in their soul, um, right. you would have to be, you have to start questioning, like what what's wrong here? What can what can be done about this? And um, that's why it would be great, you know, if the audience, if a bunch of uh, brown and black girls aren't just the eighty percent of the people who get this book, but that eighty percent right. of the people outside of that category. Um, right. And so, as far as writing the chapters, those seven chapters, which one do you think um, clicked most with you and your experience growing up? Oh, man. Hmm. <laughs> it's hard to pick. Okay, so maybe... I would say it's between the second chapter. Cause I, because she... I didn't have... Like, I didn't... The way that she internalized it um, and how I think um, it sort of morphed into her eating disorder and her um, cutting for the second one, which was a parable of the insecure brown girl. Um mine didn't morph there, but it could have. So, you know, you, you kind of see the, the, the extreme, mm. um, sort of version of what could have been you, yeah. um, because of how I felt about my hair and skin and weight. Right. Um, and I, that's probably the chapter I put more of my own stuff in, um, my own, like, Oh, I remember, you know, doing weigh-ins and, and, you know, basketball and being the only black girl and the things that, that my coach would say to me. Um, and, uh, you know, just dealing with this sort of hair journey and all that, I think, um, you know, a lot of that resonates. And then the last one, um, so do they had a, so you got the copy where before we changed some of the titles because oh, some of them so. it's like, <laughs> because it, no, because they wanted it to be more consistent. So like where you see insecure brown girl, all of them have that flow, something, something brown girl. So the last one yeah. now is like parable, the white acting brown girl. See okay, how that good, like yeah. flows. So it's yeah. like the same thing, whatever. But that, I think that one would be 
the next one that would resonate with me because I, you know, went to mostly in the beginning of my um, adolescence, mostly white schools. But then I also um, I was very heavily involved in my church in an area that was mostly black. And most of the youth went to mostly black schools. And so I had to go in and out all the time. You know, I would spend a lot of time in youth ministry. So when I was in youth ministry, I was at school or doing basketball practice or anything like that. I would say a little bit between the two of those. Both of them identity, you know, Mm -hmm. both of them with just me struggling with my identity so much growing up. Um, I look now and I see, you know, all of the... um, you know, uh, the Miss America and, and Miss Universe and, you know, how a lot of those uh, pageants, a lot of those women that have won them are black and the representation that people are talking about and, um, you know, all this black girls rock and, mm. um, you know, the representation of, you know, um, Michelle Obama, those are the types of things mm-hmm. I didn't have growing up in the right, 90s. Right. You know, I had Oprah, you know, which yeah. us like was like an anomaly, you know, Um and uh, I didn't have that. So mm. there was no natural hair movement um, growing up, you know. Um, it was no embrace your beauty and your skin complexion. And it just, <laughs> yeah. that wasn't it, you know. I did, I'm grateful I grew up in sort of like the 90s R&B era. Um, but, mm. <laughs> but outside of that, you were just left alone in it. Mm. So I just remember the isolation that it felt. Um, and I think about now how different, I wonder if I would be, different had I not been so severely insecure my entire adolescence, <laughs> literally until like 12th grade, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yet being an adolescent is is to be insecure too. It's, it might not be, you know, it might be for, for different things than, than other things. Cause that is like the time in development where every kid's going to be, my ears are huge. My, and and it, it's something that they can't control or, you know, yeah. the, they're the shortest one. My brother was like, you know, 103 pound it says senior year in weight class, you know, <laughs> everybody's got yeah. their little, but, but it's, so it's, common and yet it totally will um massively affect your life and and your maybe your choices and your movements forward and and the different people you attract into your life and things too um it's it's huge and and maybe you can explain like so you're talking about really code switching back and forth between Mm. different groups and (laughs) it's kind of a survival when you're for for minority people usually it's when you're code switching to sound whiter or whatever that means but mm-hmm. you know it's kind of mm-hmm. to the sound like everybody else around you in the dominant culture mm-hmm. um, but then if you would sound exactly like that among your friends that are black in your neighborhood they would probably give you a lot of pushback and mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and so maybe you can explain um, the stress you know that, that that's a yeah. cut, hanging that's like constantly being super self aware but not, not, in a, not in a positive yeah. way <laughs> Right. And then you hear messages like be yourself. You know, you're trying to find yourself (laughs) and be your authentic self, but you have to constantly go back and forth between contexts of trying to fit in, you know, and the code switching thing is interesting because it's something that continues well into your adulthood. Um, and, but when you're young, um, you know, like I said, it's more like, you're, you're, you're struggling. Like you, what you were talking about with in general insecurity, identity, yeah. just stuff in general, just because you're growing up as an adolescent on top of that, you know, 
then having to add this extra layer. Right. Um, just makes it difficult when you like get to college or when you wind up being a young adult. It's like sort of like, who am I? Um, I think as long as you know, like now, I wouldn't say a code switch now, um, you know, but it's just, it's been so long. I'm like in my late thirties now, you know? So it's yeah. like, it just takes so long to get to a place where you can be comfortable with who you are and with yourself, but also know how to talk the talk and walk the walk, depending on the environment that you're in. Um, and, um, I don't have to change my friends now. Like I had to, when I was younger Mm. because of what, what worked and what didn't, but, uh, Monique Morris, I write about a lot in the book. Monique Morris has done great work and I attribute and credit her for really paving the way for this. She wrote this book called Push Out, the criminal, the criminalization of black girls. Um, and mainly she's talking about an educational system. Um, and you know, some of those, some of those stories about the girls with, um, it's so consistent with the the girls that I've talked to, whether, you know, oh, we got the attitude in class or, you know, just not giving the sort of same benefit of the doubt. These girls Mm -hmm. don't know code switching. They're just being themselves. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, and they're, and they're being penalized for it. There's a lot of things that I don't even think, uh, because I've heard this among close family and friends that are white, that are, it's it's a preference. It's a cultural preference of what they, oh, well, she's this. She's acting like this. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, I think that's that, you don't prefer that. You know, like mm-hmm. if you really are looking, if you're really looking, it might be that you don't prefer that, but there's mm-hmm. nothing actually wrong with what that person's doing at all. What, how right. they're speaking. If you, you know, look beyond your prejudice, which is unconscious, I think mm-hmm. in, in many cases, but mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not, but in the case of like what you were talking about in the book, girls who are wearing modest clothing mm. and they're getting in trouble for mm-hmm. with against girls who are wearing the same or, or mm-hmm. worse that are white or white passing or whatever. And mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're coming against, you know, I'm trying to dress as they're saying, I'm trying to dress as modestly as I can. And they may be curvier. They, they might mm-hmm. have different weight and they are being sexualized in act, acting as though they're trying to be sexual when they're mm-hmm. just trying to exist. They're just right. trying to like get through That's their all. day. Just be a kid. Yeah, and and it's a really pre- really really prevalent. And I've heard those those comments made. I've I've heard them, and I and I've thought, I, I, it just it's really puzzling to me. And I'll and I'll be thinking, I think you're being serious. I think you actually think that they they think that of themselves. That like you know, an eleven year old is like swooshing around, like trying to get. <laughs> oh, no, she is not. <laughs> and some of the ways that. Um, that black girls are not allowed to get to express frustration or confusion or anger, be upset. Like if, if that happens, suddenly there's a there's a behavior problem when um, another kid, you know, would get a pass of, oh, well, they're you know, they're really a good kid, but they just had a, a hard day, you know, and, yeah. and the kind of differences that happen so that that to code switch is simply if they can figure it out it's like a survival mechanism but Mm -hmm. they'll be like oh well if I imitate some of the kids around me I will blend Mm -hmm. more and I won't get the kind of grief I'm getting but at the same time they're also learning I'm not okay I I came in here not okay right if they sort of go by the book I have an example of this girl and I use it in another interview I did, uh, you know, it's 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 actually one of the girls that inspired one of the chapters, the the, the angry black, angry brown girl, uh, mm. and 
the end of the at the end of the chapter, I talk about how she's how she is sort of changing a bit. Was was saying, you know, I, I I don't fight as much. I don't do blah blah blah. Well, there was an incident not long ago where you know she has been getting great grades and you know wanted to run for president of her school and um, and you know, did this whole campaign and just was just so proud of herself and her steps that she was making. Well, the administration was like, well, decided, well, based off her behavior last year, she can't run, you know. Well, the girl was living, you know, yeah. it made her sort of take these back steps. Um, and I jumped in. Her parents were jump, jumping in and I jumped in because I was like, no, because this is the cycle. Yeah, <laughs> this is what we're trying to do. Yeah, and and I, you know, had a conversation with the school pre- principal and penalizing her for last year. She clearly has changed. You don't mm. know what has happened over the summer. Um, her great, she's on the honor roll now. Um, you know, this girl's trying to make changes. So you should have taken her to the side at the beginning when she start before all for her campaign. <laughs> you know, yeah, totally, yeah. And so now you're telling her late, it's embarrassing if she has to pull out. So now you're you're sort of forcing her to revert. And the reason why I brought that up for a bunch of reasons, but one of them is here's a girl now trying to follow the script. Now mm. she's staying true to herself, right? But she decides, okay, I'm going to behave, whatever that might mean. I'm going <laughs> right. to get good grades. I'm going to be a better, you know, um, try to run for whatever. Um, and be in a leadership position. So she's she's now playing by the quote-unquote rules and still being penalized for it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's, it's like, well, why, why even try? Right? right. Exactly. And then, you know, when the one of the administrators went to her, and so she told me I went to her, and she pulled away from me at school, you know, so she had an attitude and basically oh. proving my point. And I'm like, no, she was just angry with you. She's, <laughs> she's not proving your point. <laughs> mm. You're pushing her back to where she was. And she's pissed because she's embarrassed. <laughs> And right. angry. And because she's trying, you've been telling, we've been telling her to do better and be better and all that. She's trying and she's still being penalized. What is the point in her behaving now? What is the point in yeah. her, um, yeah. you know, and. And when is it OK to be angry? It was really interesting right. as we're telling people if it was a, a black girl, white girl, any girl. Hey, you know what? If if something really disappointing happens, you can't be angry. What, do you, what right. is that supposed to mean? Oh, of course right. she's upset. I mean, she, she right. this is something she had her heart set on. What what else is she going to feel happy? Exactly. And maybe <laughs> you are you're clearly the person that caused it. So maybe somebody else should be going to her. <laughs> you know, like you're, you know, like of yeah. course she sees you as being the person <laughs> that's trying to stop her. Yeah. And she wound up being able to run, but you know, she she there was a meeting with the parents and um I wasn't there of course but the parents and some other administrators and they talked to her and they said well why do you want to run you know and she mm-hmm. she she told them you know why she wanted to run and explained and she changed her life blah 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 and they were like okay well that's good enough okay well I said I'm glad she impressed you in that mm-hmm. but the fact that she had to go above and beyond <laughs> right explain in front of all these adults yeah <laughs> this kid this is like middle schooler Wow, really? Yeah, she's not even in high school. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And this middle schooler has to articulately, beautifully, nicely explain to you all, you know, what her intentions are and how she's got good intentions. And so you're holding her to a different standard. 
Um, you know, I get if she did run, then, you know, there needed to be a conversation where they're like, listen, you know, your grades need to be like this. You can't be getting in trouble. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Like all of that, if you want to run or if you want to maintain, um, if you do win and you want to stay on, you know, but outside of that, you know, what, what are these messages now? What, what did she learn from this whole thing? Well, and I, I wonder if it would have happened to somebody else, like if, if it would it have happened. And I think that that's usually like to, if it applies to everybody or not. And I think we, we can't know exactly, but I think we could maybe guess right. exactly. <laughs> it might have not happened. To everybody. It might have been like, yay, it was a victory. They changed, you right. know. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think just continually confronting what what are hidden influencers, meaning bigotry, but um biases and, and things like that that we have to say let's let's be honest and see if there isn't something else playing into this argument that's actually irrational that it is mm. like that i don't think people who look like this should act like this even mm. though mm. i actually think you know somebody else i give somebody else a pass and right. I, and i think that it's not going to necessarily be a conversation that happens directly like that but advocating for someone who doesn't have like a middle schooler doesn't have any power right, right. right. and it's um yeah i'm i'm very thankful that that you're there christy wow. <laughs> just <laughs> but i wonder too um you know you think about all the the kids who don't have any, don't any have voice, it, right. or, yeah, don't have any um, buddy who is, is noticing what's happening or or in their lives, right. and, and and that's, that's the why point of the book, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what it has to be written. So that they can be more more aware and sensitive to these things, so that they can. They may not be an advocate, but right, but so that they can just say, "Oh, I, this has happened." You know, this happened before. My mom, she's been working. At, my mom just retired, but she. Um, her doctorate in education was a super uh, was has been all throughout the special education system um, for years and years. But she um, sent me a she forwarded me an, uh, I don't know if it was an email. It was when she was working of some some one of her teachers who were talking about an elementary school kid. Um, and the girl that, you know, has an attitude and how she misbehaves. But she was like, she sent me the email and said, Christy, oh, my God, this looks mm. exactly like one of the examples that you put in the book. Like the, the way that the teacher is talking about the girl was like she was a grown woman, <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. and I don't like her nasty attitude and, you know, all that. And and, you know, she was like, it's so interesting. And but I bring that up because I would love for people to be more aware and, and say, oh my gosh, where have I read that? That this, you know what I mean? Like, this is like, this is something that is consistent, mm. a consistent issue or challenge with black girls. Um, and not just something to brush off as being, you know, which a lot of people do, oh, it's just one incident or, you know, it happened with this particular one, but there's a consistency. And I think that's one of the things that Monique Morris mentions in a lot of her books. There's a consistency that we need to start paying attention to and, and advocating for. And the other thing, too, is like, let's say you have a little kid in elementary school, like um, first they're little. And mm -hmm. if there's something going on in, in their home, right. they they could be really having a real rough spot and and they can be really upset and so i i think that sometimes excuses are made for kids oh well you know their their parents are getting divorced and so right. da, da, da. but does that happen 
to, to darker kids? <laughs> I mean, is there trauma at home? Do, does it even matter? Or is it just right. like, hey, you're a behavior problem. It's like, but exactly. have you asked them what's happening at home? Right. They don't get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You know? And so, of course, a kid is going to be like, they would be a psychopath if they were, if they were right. acting out somewhere because that would mean nothing was getting in. Right. How many of those psychological profiles do we do for when you say psychopath, like serial killer? We go back, you know, <laughs> we go back and we see, oh, this is what happened when they were 13 or, you know what yeah. I mean? This is yeah. what led here. So right. These girls are not getting that same space. Yeah. Right. It, yeah, it's 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 eye opening to to see um, the patterns that that come out. If there are patterns that come out again and again, there's actually something we could do about it. Uh-huh, <laughs> you know? uh-huh. um, and and that's the thing about kind of noticing and bringing it up to to the consciousness of of mainstream consciousness. It's just uh-huh. like and and that's that's what kind of. Um, I, I try to have a diversity of views and diversity of backgrounds and not just Christians on my podcast and a little uh-huh. of everything. And it's because, um, like, for instance, I know people who have never read a womanist in, in their uh-huh. lives. Uh-huh. And it's just like, because, oh, why? Because I'm not a black woman. Well, uh-huh. it, but that's like, it can't stay in just that little group read among the, that little um, group of people and, and, you know, evolving among that little group of people. It's like, it has to get out to a broader group. Like, yeah. how is it going to make any difference to anyone or, or to our society if it doesn't burst out from, from the, just the authors and the people who are already working on it. And right. that's, that's a problem in academia in general. Sometimes things just get siloed, but, um, but that's the thing is that I think too often these ideas that are extremely important, the research that's extremely important and and solid actually never gets to the mainstream where it could actually help. You know, uh-huh. it, does a, it doesn't actually um, pry into our hearts and, and crack them open and be like, actually, I could make a difference here. I could speak up. I could uh, help, you know, see the other side of something right. and not just get these things perpetuating constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to like zero in on the book and make sure it gets said? I would say that I mentioned Imago Day in the book in chapter two. Mm-hmm. Um, but Imago Day really could be applied to all those girls, right? The whole image of God. I think the book could be for anyone. I really, really would love for church leadership, the Christian community to take a little bit more responsibility, <laughs> you know, take a little bit more ownership over paying attention um, to this particular demographic. That's that's one of the things that I would like to see uh, come out of it. Like I said, I've, I've, I've appreciated people saying that they, oh, I'm a white woman and I read the book and I, mm-hmm. I got it. I, I learned something. You know, I appreciate that. I do want to probably hear some more church leaders, pastors from other types of neighborhoods be able to say, you know what, I'm going to start paying a little bit more attention to girls and my you know what I mean in, in in these schools or communities or whatever yeah yeah and and see um people in the education um who have students for instance or who have you know who are administrators in in educational yeah. settings yeah. to kind of clue in a little more deeply as to what 
life is like with like they might not think not too much is happening maybe in their class but then mm-hmm. over a, uh, an entire day or entire week all the microaggressions building up right, to be right. extremely stressful on a kid who's just trying to just trying to make it to the next day probably that I mean I know when I was a kid I was just sometimes I was just like by the end of the day you're just like does this have to go on <laughs> you're just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're just tired right. and, and I think that um you know, the, the insights would really help. It, it would be great if it was in um, more broadly, like even top down. Sometimes it doesn't happen top down type of things. But mm-hmm. um, you're right with ministry, with with education, with, um, you know, institutionally would be excellent. Yeah. 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 And so as you as you're doing talks, are you um, do you think you might be able to get into any kind of. Um, school settings like uh go on like um what's it called when in service day type things oh i would you know what i would love to i i'm actually speaking at a school on my launch day but it's for 60 girls and Uh. i'm gonna put a presentation together for girls i would love to but you're 100 right i would love to spend more time with adults yeah (laughs) sure yeah um because again you know i i want to spend time with girls affirming them but like i said they already know their lives and their experiences, right? Like the whole idea is to sort of go around and and educate and enlighten others that don't. And I would love that. Um, So I've started to sort of tap in a little bit. A lot of it is more New Jersey area um, right now, but I would, um, because those are the people that I know. School actually, schools near me that I've wanted in Pottstown that I've wanted to um, sort of reach out to and, and see if I can talk to some of their you know, educators and administrators. So we'll see. I hope that works out. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Christy Lauren. Um, and then on Instagram, I'm at Christy Adams. Um, and, uh, Facebook, I'm not on personally, but parable, the Brown girl has a page. Um, so the parable, the Brown girl page is on Facebook. And then my website is Christy Lauren Adams.com. <laughs> If you've listened to the show and you've thought, wow, I wish I could find out a little bit more about someone mentioned or a book or a website, that's what show notes are for. Just go to patreon.com forward slash spark my muse. Patreon is like patron with an E. Patreon.com forward slash spark my muse. If you enjoyed the show, please rate it on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening.